Hey guys, it's Edge Martinez. They call me the voice of New York. And 50 years ago, hip hop started right here in New York City. And we're celebrating the five boroughs all year long. Check out nyctourism.com forward slash hip hop for cultural stories, events, interviews, and more. nyctourism.com forward slash hip hop. What's going on, everyone? This is the Go Along Podcast. Man, am I Jack for our special guest right here, making it as real as we can. If, if we really could do this, Ramon, right, I'd be down there in Nashville. Maybe a winners and losers would be about, you know, two, three beers in. But we'll, we'll, we'll try to make do in the Zoom world. Uh, Ramon Foster, 11-year vet with the Pittsburgh Steelers. And now he has he's crossed over to the dark side. He has joined... <sighs> Sports media as the co-host of the Jay Martin Ramon show in Nashville, Tennessee. Love going on with you guys. Uh, Ramon, welcome. Man, I appreciate it. I know the invite has always been open, but we finally connected and I'm here with you. And I'll just say this about you being in Nashville. It is hot. Okay. So wherever you are, stay there. Okay. Until this actually pulls back. Cause we, we go to winners and losers, but let me tell you this, we'd be sweating on the walk. There is all I would say, man, is it's steaming down here. So stay cool. Probably because you're picking up some uh, Hattie B's hot chicken on the way over. Right. That, that's right around the corner. I think from winners and losers. It is. And I'll say this. If you eating hot chicken in this wedding, in, in this weather, you're probably the spawn of Satan. Okay. Cause those <laughs> two should not mix. I'll just throw that out there for you, man. I wouldn't be a fan of it. I mean, I, I tell everybody, I, I act like I'm this you know, national expert on anything, but but just going there a handful of times, Midtown, right? Midtown yeah. over Broadway, 10 out of 10 times. Oh, my wrong? God. No, 100%. Like, it's good to see what Broadway is here because it's a show. Like, it's legitimately a show. I don't care if it's early March or November, if you go out on a Saturday night here, it's going to be a good time on the street. It's a matter of, uh, it's a matter of, do you want to be there amongst all those people? Because it's going to be a variation of a lot of different things you're going to see. But what Nashville is, and you know this too, it's an entertainment town now, and it's a midway point so that you don't have to go to Vegas. If you're looking for a good time, you just go right to Nashville on the Southwest flight, straight flight for the most part, and have the same amount of fun. So you're from Ripley, Henning, Tennessee. Where exactly are you from yes. originally? It's Lauderdale County in Tennessee, but I was born, I was raised in uh, Henning, Tennessee. I went to high school in Ripley. Ripley was a school that was I was associated with going to college. So I say Ripley, Tennessee, same county. One is right beside the next, and there's no real difference if, if I drove you through one or the other. Got it. Got it. Because I remember seeing you pop up in Tennessee and – I didn't even know you were from there. I, I figured we'd be, you know, hearing you talking Steelers and in, in, in Pittsburgh, in the Pittsburgh area. But you can you can talk Steelers anywhere. And now you got the Titan fans to uh, to play right? uh, Yeah, for sure. Pittsburgh is definitely my, my my second home. And I was born and raised here in Tennessee. Love the state, man. And I think that was a little bit of me coming back. And to be honest with you, I enjoyed Pittsburgh a lot. And I'll say this too, it's probably like the Buffalo area where you get the, the access to big city attractions and stuff like that in Pittsburgh, but it's very blue collar. 
Like you can yeah. go there and just be a guy. And it's it's a city that loves its sports. Um, it's a city that look, if you're a hard worker, you can be appreciated there. Uh, and you don't have to do anything crazy. It's not like being in, in, in like the New Jersey area or going to L.A. where you got to drive a Ferrari or a Rolls Royce or anything like that. You can just be you in an F-250 truck or a, a simple car. Like, And that's what I appreciate about Pittsburgh. Me coming back here to Tennessee was mainly because, one, Nashville is growing like crazy. And I actually like that type of growth, too. Um, but it's home for me. My family's about two and a half hours away. My fa- wife's family's right down the street. And I just wanted to be back here, you know, in a city that's that's buzzing. So um, I don't know what, what later in life is going to hold. I might end up moving back to Pittsburgh. Who knows, man? Yeah, you're always a conquering hero in Pittsburgh, right? You can go back for the reunions and and all that good stuff. But I I always tell people, I think we've talked about it on your show. So when I was at Bleach Report doing a lot of features on the Steelers, I think like Le'Veon Bell, when he was breaking out of the scene, that that run. And then um, I did a longer story on Mike Tomlin. I always felt like this magnetic pull to Ramon's locker. Like you're, you're sitting there. You're like this wise Buddha. Just post it up. <laughs> and if you wanted to learn anything about yeah. a teammate, a coach, you'd go there. But I always felt bad. I was, I'd go to Ramon Foster and it's, tell me about something other than you every single time. So yeah. we should talk about you a little bit here, shouldn't we? Like we your should. rise, your career. You you know what's crazy is I, I, I'm i one of those people out. I'll big up everybody else. But to talk about me, I don't want to say it's weird, but it's kind of just one of those situations where it's like, well, I, I guess I never do. So it's going to feel a little different, man. Uh, but that's me though. I may, I lend myself to people like all the time, not just like I'm some, some crazy servant of people, but I like to see people smile. I like to see people have a good time. If it's, if the room is quiet and everybody's, you know, trying to figure out what's next, I'm usually going to try to spark that conversation to figure out what's next. So that's always kind of just be my approach. I'm a second child slash middle child. And you know how that goes sometimes is you always try to please people. And that's just, that's always been me. It's the way I played for my teammates. That's the way I kind of was a, um, a, a NFL PA rep because I enjoyed that helping guys out, figuring out what's next. Even in my retirement, I'm still, you know, tapped into Pittsburgh's locker room. Um, I still have guys hit me up about, you know, well, what, what, what am I supposed to do as far as, you know, benefits post football? I enjoy that type of stuff, man. So, uh, and plus I like a good time too. You could always explain complicated, deep things in like a very digestible way. I I remember whether it was like, you know, blocking for this running back who almost comes to a complete stop behind you or Mike Tomlin and the way he just built that system. But um, yeah, it did did seem like you kind of just embraced being a spokesman for the team. And I I imagine I'm not alone. You're you're probably holding court for, you know, the local people, (laughs) the national people, everybody. Yeah, and, and this is the other part too. I guess it comes down to a, to a matter of respect that if, if you can get people to unbuckle a little bit and loosen up and just realize, like, I feel like a lot of time, and I actually got this from, from Marquise Pouncey, uh, just, you know, it kind of made me lean into it a little bit more. We were at a place having dinner one night and, and, uh, it was, it was funny. Like, I was like, Pouncey, man, you get, you get hounded all the time. Like we'd be together, but they want to go talk to the all pro guy. Okay. What's no bigger than me. Do your thing. I was like, pounds, man, you get hounded all the time. He was just like, mom, we only get a certain window with this stuff. He was like, so if we don't lean into it and buy into the aspect that look, we might be the only NFL guy they'll ever meet in their life. 
it's like, then we're doing ourselves a disservice. It's like, why do we do this? Like just for the money. And that's how, you know, it kind of changed my mindset even more that even, you know, even I'm a Pittsburgh Steeler covering the Titans. I, I I've had more people come up to me as, you know, fans of, of their teams, the Titans, which I found out here in Nashville, they hate the Steelers. Okay. <laughs> so for my interaction to them, anytime I've met, you know, one or two of them in public, I always just lend myself to them and have a conversation because one thing they'll tell you, you know, it's, it's rare they get a chance to see guys that are in the NFL and have that interaction to a person that covers their team. So I always tell people, man, never fly above anybody. Like you really got to be embedded in what you're doing and how you go about your business. And, and no matter how important you think you are, there's always somebody that's more important or they, they are alluded to be more important than you too. And it's not to minimize yourself, but it's just, look, I'll tell anybody, one, be good to people. Just be a guy. Like, why go in the room and expect yeah. all the cameras to go on you? You know, and, and certain people, for anybody, right? Like, you know, and, and certain people operate like that, and that's fine. But you, you get, you'll catch more people and impact more people, too, um, through having conversations, uh, to having understanding and empathy for folks, to whereas um, a lot of guys hold themselves way higher than they should. I've seen guys that, you know, be – practice squad only guys that if you walked around them they were all pro hall of fame slash guys i'm like just be a dude i swear you know and troy palomalu was like that just he was a guy he didn't you know wasn't loud wasn't over the top he couldn't wait to serve i, I hit up troy whenever uh he retires like troy man I, I never got a jersey from you he was like send me your address and just like that you know so who am I to be above somebody when I got a guy like Troy Palomalu that'll send me an autographed jersey who's a first ballot Hall of Famer? So it's know who you are as a person, but always, you know, stand back and appreciate other people too, no matter what position you're in. I can remember talking to Vince Williams at one point in, in the back of the locker room. Yeah. And he uh he he said that that locker room just has a way, you know, with Mike Tomlin and his whole staff and all the players of just like weeding out that kind of person, right? If there's somebody in there that, that isn't a, that isn't a dog. I know we overuse that term, but is somebody in there that isn't going to punch you in the mouth, somebody in there that isn't ready for that, that back alley brawl, that's going to put in that work and, and hit in practice and, and do that dirty. They don't last long in Pittsburgh. How, how did you see that kind of manifest itself day to day? So I went undrafted to Pittsburgh and my, my ride was a craziest, I'm talking about a crazy ride I've ever had. And I'm sure it's, it's been a lot of the players that have that ride too, but I ended up getting a grade back from Pittsburgh after I got there and they showed me my draft slip. They showed me how they evaluated me and I went undrafted, but they had a three to five on me. They actually ended up picking a guy in the third round that year that we played in the same position. So they didn't lie. It was a matter of a separator of one stat versus another of with me, me versus him. And, um, so to have that idea going into camp as an undrafted guy, and uh, I'll never forget it was Mark was his uh, one of the main scouts there. He told me, he was like, we had a higher grade on you. We're kind of lucky. To have. I was like, yeah, whatever. You know, I never believed him. But the moment I retired, they sent me that paper. Um, but going through that process, I just had a kid with my girlfriend, now wife. Um, I had a young child then. So I'm basically in survival mode in a sense. And one of the best things, Best advice I ever gotten from anybody was from my former agent. He told me, he was like, Ramon, uh, immediately after draft, I probably had about 13 teams call me wanting to sign me from, you know, to a priority free agent. Jets, Browns, Baltimore, Cincinnati, Pittsburgh, just a whole bunch of other teams. 
And he said, it's your decision. He was like, but I'll tell you this. Pittsburgh is a land of opportunity. If you go there and you ball out and you're nasty, you're going to make that team. And I was like, all right, let's do it. So um, I get in, go to camp, and uh, it was a turning point in, in training camp for myself that really made me realize that it's a game, but it's still a business. Coach James Mitchell is a uh, is, is a famous D-line coach in Pittsburgh. And uh, Coach Mitch is what we call him. I'm sure you heard some of the D-linemen calling in that while you was reporting in the locker room. But in my rookie year, it was two guys wearing 73. It was me and a defender wearing 73. He was drafted. I was undrafted. And Mitch had us, Coach Mitch had us line up to go against each other. Of course, rookie versus rookie. You got on his number. He got on your number. And he told us at that point, he said, all right, I hope y'all realize what's going on here. We got two 73s. But at the end of the camp, it can only be one. And I went, oh, oh, it's got I got a young kid. I got a family I'm trying to support with my girlfriend, now wife. And I'm like, man, I, I, I got to make this happen. And from that point on, the switch turned on as far as just surviving, as far as understanding what Pittsburgh was. So when you ask about that mindset, I knew this. I didn't know the entire playbook, but I knew if every single rep that I had, I didn't care what it was. If I went 100%, I had, I gave myself a fair shot. Lo and behold, I made the roster that year for the next 10 years right after that. And not patting myself on the back, but it, it, it gives a mindset to what that locker room is. They don't care how you get there, man. They appreciate somebody that's going to work hard, somebody that's going to do stuff the right way, too. And if you do have an extreme talent like a guy like Antonio Brown, you're able to be tolerated because at the end of the day, our, our, our business is football. That's what we do. You know, and you're paid to win. That goes along with it. But for myself personally, that journey that I took on being a guy that was unknown under the radar to turning into a double-digit starter in the city of Pittsburgh, that franchise, man, um, I think Coach Tomlins did a real good job, has done a real good job of setting, I guess you're saying, what's the baseline of what it takes to be in a locker room? And Vinny was right. You really got to be a guy. If you are just doing it for the glitz and glamour, you won't make it. As flashy as some guys are in the locker room at times, those dudes at the core of, of, yeah. of their, their their heart is they're going to go get you by any means necessary, man. And uh, if you heard a recent podcast with Coach Tomlin, listen to him. Yeah, You kind of get an understanding of, of where he comes from about the game. And everybody that's ever walked through that locker room has kind of held that mindset. I hope everybody has a chance to listen or watch that entire, you know, Mike Tomlin podcast. It was so fascinating to see him open up in a way. I hadn't seen him open up publicly because. Not like that. Right, right. Not like that. Um, But he's threaded that needle of, you know, guys love playing for him as of being a player's coach, but (laughs) being disciplined as hell. I mean, back to his Vikings defensive coordinator days when he's, what, 33, 34. I remember Chad Greenway telling me, like, he commanded the room like you did not want to let him down. He let you know when you screwed up and he was on your ass. And, and yeah. younger, younger than the players themselves, I think so many coaches try to find that balance and fail miserably. I mean, he's mastered mm-hmm. it. Ty, it's weird, man. And I don't, I, I've only played for one coach in the NFL. That's all I can tell you, man. So seeing his blueprint of what it takes and how you survive and watch guys that played for him, played under him, some probably coached with him, probably may not have liked him because I don't I don't know what their relationship was. But from 
coach to player, the philosophy stays the same. The standard stays the same. The wording of what he says stays the same. You mentioned, you know, him commanding the room. Every day in the meeting, he walks into the room. He might have a piece of paper in his hand that he's read, you know, from one of his assistants, and he walks in loud. Man, you know, like, good morning, man, to command. Look, I'm in here. Um, but it's also just the transparency of work, too. I've heard guys going to work, man, and 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 they are in a position that they don't know if they're going to make the team, <laughs> if they're about to get cut, if they're safe. And one thing that he did, going back to my rookie year, uh <laughs> I'll, I'll never forget. This was another business moment for me that was in the in the classroom, the meeting room. I got worked like the first day in pads. The first story I told you was actually later in camp when everything started to settle in. But like the first couple of days in pads, I got worked. Okay, Brett Kiesel. Okay, Casey Hampton. Okay, oh. Travis Curry. They were really having the time with me. And I knew I had a bad day, too. So we're in Latrobe, Pennsylvania, St. Vincent College. We walk into the classroom, and uh, he put up the slides. And second slide comes up was mine. And he put the red arrow on my face and was like, Mo, we had a day, didn't we? And he showed every clip that me getting worked. And I was just, like, taken back in the sense of just like, man, I'm I'm, out of here. And, uh, and you think you're done right then? I'm done. Todd, listen to me. I was done. Okay. I was, <laughs> why me? Why are you calling me out? I'm a rookie. I don't, I'm trying to figure this you're thing one, out. You're one of 90 at that point, undrafted <laughs> nobody. Hey, why are you picking with the, with the undrafted guy? But he said something and listen to me, Todd. He said this last phrase to me and every day at practice for the next four years, he said it. He said, Moan, at the end of that, that meeting in, in 2009, said, Moan, don't take it. And all, all, everything that was going through my mind from the next day out was don't take it. I don't care what you got to do to not get put up on that big board anymore, but don't take it. Every day of practice, he walking there, Moan, don't take it. Day two, Moan, don't take it. A year later, Moan, don't take it. It became so much a thing that he just was repetitive. But as far as like hammering down, his philosophies of what he expected, though, Ty, he's consistent across the board with his players. You don't have to guess if you're going to be active on game day. He's going to tell you if you're going to be active on game day. You don't have to understand how, hey, am I close to getting cut? He'll put up a guy and say, you missed this play. I got this guy that was inactive last week. If you don't make this play this week, that guy going to be in your spot. But for me, as a, as a young guy, not understanding his philosophies and how he coached, it hardened me. I will say that it made me a little bit numb to dogging players out. It, it probably helped my growth a little bit. The survival instincts of being in the league, because you know, like I know, a lot of guys don't want to be out of the league. They want to fulfill their dreams long enough to where, when it's time for them to bow out, it's really not a big issue. And that's what I wanted to do. And uh, just, just you know, having that mindset of that you got to be consistent, you got to be repetitive, you got to kind of have a little nastiness of what you're doing made me kind of create this philosophy a little bit for myself. Ty, if it's a game between me and you, I'm going to step on your neck to get what I want. Afterwards, I'm going to shake your hand. We can be cool, but between these lines and how we compete, I don't give a damn about you. Afterwards, we go get some wings, get some beer, whatever you want to do. But it kind of, and I've kind of taken that, a little, that approach with my kids a little bit. I got some big, tall kids, man. I got a 13-year-old that's like 6'4 right now. My my 10-year-old is like 5'1", 5'2". 
So I got big kids. And so a lot of the times we run into stuff as parents where we try to create paths for our kids and tell them what they should and shouldn't do. And one thing I said, I vow to never, ever do, because I've even seen guys in the NFL like this, where a big guy becomes, air quotation marks, soft, or he could, he ain't as nasty as he want to be. And I tell my kids, look, it's not our fault that they're that small. If they want to step up, you go dog them. I'd rather pull them back than to say, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. no, uh-uh, uh-uh. We, won't, we don't live like that. We don't do that because disadvantages are common in life. Why we got to pull back because that guy is a foot smaller than you? Why? I gotta, because if they get the opportunity to get you, they will. And that's just been really my approach to, I ain't going to say life in a sense. Like I told you, I'm a giver. You get whatever I have if it's there for you. But as far as when it comes down to work and attaining certain stuff, I'm all about that attitude, you know, and then Pittsburgh kind of helped yeah. me with that. As it's you probably have talked to Vince about this. I remember him. Uh, he was breaking down his son's like Pop Warner game. He said, oh, like, oh, he's oh, telling yeah. he's telling his son, like, go, go kill him, like get hit him. And the, the other parents are almost taken aback. Like, oh, my God, how can you use that language? And it's like, oh, hey, you're putting your kid out there. You you're playing. This yeah. sport. That that's that's football. And. I don't know. I guess society at large is getting softer. Uh, mentalities are getting softer, but even the yeah. NFL has gotten softer you know, through your 11 uh-huh. years. You probably saw it, but Mike Tomlin and the little... Steelers stayed consistent. I feel like with, you know, being mentally tough and physically tough, your practices are just different. Even a funny story. You mentioned the practices. Uh, we had a joint practice. I think like maybe 2011 with the Buffalo bills, man. And uh, we're, we're in camp 2011-12, whenever those, we were supposed to have two back-to-back, but a coach got fired, I think. Was Rex Ryan the coach there, one of the Ryans? Somebody 2011 would have been pre-Rex. I think we're talking Dick Geron, maybe? Maybe. It, was, it may have been him, but we did Chan, it one Chan year. Gailey? Tr- Chan Gailey? Chan I forget yeah. who. It was Chan. It was whatever year it was. Um, we had a joint practice with them and I'll never forget. We're out there practicing and most of the times you protect your teammates. Well, with us, we were a young team relatively kind of transition some of the older guys out and they came to our joint practice tie. And let me tell you, they looked at us like we was crazy. We were out there full tackling and you could hit everybody except for the quarterback. You could do everything that you wanted to do in our practice because that's how we built. And they looked at us like, this is how y'all practice daily? We were like, yeah, something wrong with it. Lo and behold, we were pretty much archaic at that point, okay? Nobody was practicing like that. And it got heated out there, man. My guy, uh, Kyle Williams, he wasn't practicing, but he was out there talking a whole lot of trash, okay? Really? Uh, Between... Yeah, between him, uh, Kelvin Beach, who's the uh, defensive outside linebacker uh, from TCU? Uh, Jerry Hughes. With the Bills and, uh, what's that? Jerry Hughes. Jerry Hughes. So this may have been 12, 12, 13, or whatever it was, yeah, but Jerry yeah. Hughes, listen to me. Jerry Hughes and Kelvin Beecham went at it so much so that, like, the entire practice had to get broken up. They were at – because – our mindset was we go hard no matter what. Like, if you get me, then I'm going to get you the next play. And that was just – that's how we've operated, man. Nobody's full tackling in practice the way we do in camp because it creates that old-school mindset a little bit. But I can only compare it to, you know, being on the Green Bay Packers beat when I was at the Journal Sentinel, you know, the Bills with Rex Ryan. And 
I mean, compared to every everything that you're detailing, it was like a country club atmosphere. I mean, there wasn't <laughs> much contact. There definitely wasn't tackling. There weren't hitting drills. I mean, they're that big like rubber ring thing. I guess they use like to work on form yeah. tackling, but it, you need to like condition the body for violence. I don't I mean. Yeah, I, I, I get I get wanting to prevent injuries, but like by by flipping that switch and all of a sudden it's September 9th and you're the bolts are flying. That's how you get hurt if you're not ready for that. Exactly, and those kind of Steeler practices. It it is, man, and and I know that you know times have changed. Like you say, you learn to preserve. There's the 17th game right now, also, Uh, but the aspect of of football has to be there to have a good team, and I got to give it to the team in Buffalo. They have that. I've seen them play nasty, and you can. I'll say this too. You know the ones that that are have that type of respect around the league too, because other teams on film. They play them different. When they win against them, they celebrate a little bit different. I didn't care, you know, during our time, during my time playing, if we were playing a, a one and 14 Cleveland Browns team, we knew we was going to get their all simply because they wanted to beat us to reset their season and well, to end their season at that point, but to also, uh, just set a precedent that you know it was going to be a physical game. I got to ask your last season was 2019, I believe, right? Yeah. Yeah. Retired at 2020. That might have been the most impressive coaching job for Mike Tomlin, right? I mean, you lose Ben Roethlisberger early in the season. Um, you, yeah. One of your assistant coaches tragically dies in training camp. Yeah, um, Coach Drake. Injury, right? Coach Drake. Injury mm-hmm. after injury. I mean, um, I remember you know making the trade for Minka Fitzpatrick. People people thought the Steelers yeah. were nuts. Like, shouldn't you just be tanking and giving up on the season? But you go for it, and at one point, I want to say you guys were eight and five. Um, yeah, with, with the duck, Devlin Hodges, with duck, Devlin duck. Hodges, man, that quarterback. Uh, I was also How in the, the same hell did year you that guys persevere that season and get through. If again, if you hear the man talk, Coach Tomlin, he make you drink the Kool Aid and just run through walls. Like, and then it's also the pride aspect of it too. Um, that if we've heard so many times that if they can beat you, this was even coming from a Hall of Fame guy, Mike, Coach Munchak. You know, he came from the Tennessee Oilers, the Titans organization, and he used to tell us in meetings, hey, yeah, when we played the Steelers, that can make or break your season because if we beat them, you can go home and say, well, at least we beat those guys. So you're, you're that like it's kind of embedded in your DNA when it comes down to how you play the game, how you approach the game, too. So to have your franchise quarterback out, you also have the first backup, Mason Rudolph, that was out for some time, too. And then to run with Devlin Hodges, a.k.a. Duck at quarterback, I'll say this defense backed us up big time. I was apologizing, thanking our defense a ton that year, specifically Minka, Cam, and TJ Watt. Like, there was a bunch of other guys on that defense, but you just got to say, look, man, our bad. We're trying. We just don't have it. We're, they pretty much were seen every time we go out offensively because you don't have Ben back there. Um, I, I see now what the importance of having a franchise quarterback is like watching what Josh Allen has done, what Patrick Mahone has done, watching the way they feel about Herbert, like having those type of guys resets your, your franchise and us playing that year without Ben kind of brought a, a, a dose of reality to what it means to have the guy, you know, you walk into stadiums and say, Oh, we're at least going to win half the games of the season. Everybody else got to do their part to win more. But when it comes down to having backups in, like, you know, Devlin Hodges, we go out to L.A. and beat a really good, let's be honest with you, San Diego Chargers team at that point, or L.A. Chargers team at that point. On Monday night football, too, 
Um, nobody expected it, but the 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 core of your team being really good, um, having guys that just find a will a will to win, um, was pretty good too. And it was also the pride aspect of guys didn't want Coach Tomlin to have a below five hundred season. I know he don't give a damn about it, but that plays a part in it too. To never have a losing season as a player or a franchise under your coach, uh, a lot goes into that. Be remiss if we didn't uh, talk about the man who's who's always in the headlines. I mean, Antonio Brown. You referenced it earlier on Mike. Yeah. I, I get it. That's the headline, right? You know, no way we're signing him. But then Mike yeah. Tomlin goes on and on to detail, like just how hard of a worker Antonio Brown was, how fearless oh he was. As a player. All, all of that. What's when you hear Antonio Brown? When you think about your time with him as a teammate, what your perspective? What you saw? It was he as nutty and as crazy as? The guy ripping his jersey off, his pads off, quitting in the middle of a game. Yeah. Um, did you see that kind of stuff? Or is it, you know, the the, the work ethic, yeah. one more than the other? What, what was your perspective on A.B.? Well, it's a little bit of what people choose to buy into, too. And and I think A.B. would be the first one to say he kind of, you know, threw fuel on the fire when it came down to it. Um, okay, I, I, I'll give you two, the, 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 the dude, the guy, A.B., that I know, you know, was told, I ain't gonna say totally different with me, but we had a relationship. Me, myself, myself, Marquise, and him exchange Christmas gifts every year. Every, you know, game, every away game, we go to his condo on Mount Washington, just sit back. He have his, his chef cook dinners for us, uh, cook lunch for us before we, we left and everything else. Um, he was very catering to us. And maybe he looked at, at me and Marquise as big brother types to him. So the respect factor was there. If I ever needed anything from AB, he did it. Uh, heck, I got a personalized Pepsi machine, drink machine, like a full size one, because they'd be wanting to give me that for Christmas. You know, so there's been a whole bunch of, you know, conversations. I never forget sitting with him in 2010 in that sauna before Antonio Brown became AB and just telling him, like, AB, just work. The cream eventually rises to the top. We're sitting in the steam room, just sitting back trying, big bro, why won't they play me? Why won't they do this? So he and, and, and my relationship is a little bit different than what everybody else's would probably say theirs was. So to see that guy kind of develop and kind of take off to a different level, I'll say this. I think he knew who he was before everybody else did. We used to play those Steeler basketball charity games around the city uh, in the offseason, and he had already had cameras following him, documenting everything that he'd ever done. Kind of the way if you saw that Kanye West documentary where yeah, people just yeah. follow A.B. has that footage. I'm talking about probably on oh. disc and not SD cards, from 2010, he had that. Uh, and, and then I, I would say this too, watching guys grow into that type of su- superstar. Like Troy was a superstar. Everybody knew him. The hair, being the superstar, everybody knows him. But to see an undrafted, well, a six-round guy morph into a superstar and not just morph into one, but enjoy it also, it was different. We were sitting at a football game one time, man. Uh, Joey Porter's son, who's at Penn State now, we went to his high school football game who's about to be a projected first round cornerback that's crazy but joey porter jr is at penn state but we went to his football game and it was probably 20 guys at the game maybe 15 20 guys at the game already and everybody's chilling everybody letting us do our thing and then we hear this commercial commotion by the gates looking around like what the hell is is going on it was antonio walking in and he had a crowd around him. It was probably late October, so it's starting to get colder in Pittsburgh. 
when he came up there with the crowd that he had where we were sitting at, and he's just a teammate to us, but it got warm around us because there was so many people following him. Now, I just got to say this. Of course, some of the stuff can be inexcusable with how he acted. But for a person that had had the trauma that he had growing up, finally accepted by people, and not just that, allowing you to do what you want to do, it can probably take off in a bad way. I'm not excusing it, but you got to think if you don't have the right people Mm -hmm. around you to kind of govern how you view yourself and what you do again, like what I said earlier, fly amongst people, not uh, uh, higher than people. Um, It can go in in a bad way, especially when you live in the public life too. So it's two people. AB is the guy that I know that's very giving and kind of, you know, you got you see this other side of him. That's Antonio. But then you get a and B that people just love. They covet. They idolize. That's, uh, that's balance right there, man. When you don't have it all there for yourself or those checks and balances. He's a few days shy of turning 34. I mean, is, is he done? Do, do, do you think we see Antonio Brown in the NFL again? I think this last uh, stint probably got him, you know, leaving the way you did. Um, You've heard the old saying, uh, protect the shield. And Roger Goodell lives by it. NFL as a whole kind of lives by protecting the shield. If he's signed, I'd be shocked. Do I think he still can play? Yes. Uh, The way he practices, the way he works. I don't know if I've seen anybody else that's been that talented, that worked that hard all the time. And I know I'm probably forgetting a couple or forgetting a guy, too, when it comes down to making that type of statement. But just in general, I don't know if I've seen anybody that works the way he does, like consistent, consistently nonstop. The best possibly overall athlete that I've ever seen, though, Martavis Bryant. Martavis yeah. Bryant. There's a blast from the past. Another one. I mean, yeah, just tons of talent that wasn't able to, uh, you know, fulfill. Yeah. It was, but it's just, if you look at him, he's a uh, created character on Madden. Well, Martavis at the height of just becoming the guy, you know, and, and he knew he was about to be, and um, you just get short-sighted. You lose focus a little bit when it comes down to his decisions, you know, as far as the drug protocol goes, documented. Right. Um, and, and then you find yourself out of the league, and I mean fast. But the way that dude could jump, his body structure, the way he could run, uh, and just how acrobatic he was in practice uh, during the games, probably one of the best athletes I've ever seen in my life. Just face value. You know, Minka Fitzpatrick's unique. Troy was unique. I mentioned all those type of dudes. But it's just far as overall unique athlete that you'd be like, yep, that's what I want a wide receiver to look like. It was Martavis Bryant. Great stuff, Ramon. Man, it's it's good to see you. Great to have you. Let's uh, we got we got to do this again. We 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 talk a lot on your radio show, so it's good to actually <laughs> see you. And we're gonna have to bring the show to Nashville. I think that's the only next step here. You promised me a good beer, and I'm still waiting on it. So yeah, you got to bring it to Nashville. Well, if you want to come up to Buffalo, I mean, we can do this at Hamburg Brewing Company too. That's what's the schedule that's, looking like? Yeah, you know, put it on J Mark's tab. Just, just he can, he can cover those expenses. You are one hundred percent correct. Put it on his tab. The J Mart and Ramon show. What, so where can people live? They can listen online too, right? If they're not, local. they can listen online. Yeah, one hundred four five. The Zone is our parent company. Um, you can stream it on YouTube or on YouTube. You can always catch me retweeting the uh, live links on Twitter. 
Uh, we're pretty much everywhere. If you want to stream it on your podcast to Spotify, iTunes, everywhere. You can find us everywhere. And it's easy at Ramon Foster. So you can find him right there on Twitter and and follow those. And did I, did I say something else? No, that was it. Yeah. just I said it right. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, You got it right. You got it right. No. You guys have a great report, man. It's it's a great show. I love it. Love, love popping on. So great to have you, Ramon. Thanks so much, man. No doubt. And whenever you need me, just holler at me. I'll be back.